Welcome, everybody. My name is Buzz, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so grateful to have you join us as we continue in our series in Ephesians, When Heaven Meets Earth. If you heard last week, you heard Pastor Danny get us started in Ephesians chapter 1 and teach us that according to the Apostle Paul, heaven meets earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is good news for all of us, isn't it? That heaven meets earth in Jesus Christ. This is the central truth that we as Christians gather around and what we're going to celebrate here today uh, to an extent. But, you know, when Danny was teaching that last week, I was reminded of something that happened to me when I was a kid. I say something that happened to me as if it wasn't my fault. It was my fault because I was there. I was probably eight, nine, ten years old. I can't really remember how old I was. And I decided that day, for whatever reason, I did not want to go to school. And I love school, but I didn't want to go to school. Hello, I'd rather stay home and read books and watch The Price is Right. Who doesn't love The Price is Right? It's on at 10, highly inconvenient for an eight-year-old. you got to stay home from school. And so I told my dad, Dad, I'm sick. I want to stay home. I was not sick. Some people would call that a lie. That feels a little heavy, you know, but it was an untruth. I lied to my dad. I was not sick, but I wanted to stay home anyway. So he felt my head. I doubled down. Dad, I really do feel sick. Although there's no fever, I'm going to just stay home from school. And he said, okay, because I wasn't in the habit of lying. Although come to find out 30 years later, all of my lies come out in my sermon illustrations. So my parents are going to find out I used to be a little liar as a kid. Unbelievable. I wonder if my kids are watching. You shouldn't lie, kids. Don't lie to your parents. Anyway, so there I was in my bed, and I wanted to stay home, watch TV, read books, and lay in my bed. It was going to be the best day ever. Who doesn't want to stay home and watch TV and read books? Even now, employed. I might call in sick for work tomorrow. I'm sick. I want to stay home and watch The Price is Right. We grew up, you know, kind of in rural Kansas, semi-rural Kansas, and we had a long driveway, which was gravel, and then a gravel road that we lived on. And from my bedroom window, you could see it. And we had an old, heavy car, and it made an amazing plume of dust. And so I can still remember Dad going down the driveway and me thinking, like, I've gotten away with it. There's no coming back now. This is like pre-cell phone. There's no way for Dad to come back and scoop me up and take me to school. And then as soon as he rounded the corner from the driveway onto the road, I remembered that today's field trip day. I know. <laughs> and not just any field trip day, we were going to Kaleidoscope, which if you grew up in Kansas City was like the tippy top. It's like the exploratorium in the city, you know, science experiments. They had this thing, it was like nails, you could push your hand in it and make a handprint. Who doesn't love that as an eight-year-old? You could make clay. This is what we did in Kansas. We had clay and nails to play with or something. I don't know. I wanted to go to Kaleidoscope and I was sick at home in bed and all of a sudden the gut punch of emotionality that I was going to be missing out. I was going to be left behind. No longer was I happy and content with The Price is Right and a bowl of cereal. I was thinking about how much fun everybody was going to be having without me. This is my one time to go, and I'm stuck at home sick. I'm missing out. I still remember how sad I was. And uh, they have a word for that now. It's called FOMO, fear of missing out. You guys heard about fear of missing out? I'm almost like sick of talking about FOMO, but it's a thing. We think to ourselves, I'm not content in what I'm doing. I'm only content if I'm as happy what I'm doing as everybody else seems to in their own life. We have this window into how good it seems for everybody, and we are stuck at home faking sick or so it seems. And so when we think about the work of Jesus, heaven meeting earth, sometimes we even think about it through this type of a question. So, okay, heaven meets earth in Jesus Christ, but what about me? Heaven meets earth in Jesus, what about me? It must be nice to be Jesus, Son of God, sinless, 
yeah, heaven meets earth in him, but what about us? We're stuck behind at home, sick. We're missing out. There's a gap between who Jesus is and who we are. We know that. We know that gap, that space between us and him. So heaven meets earth in Jesus. That's great. Let's celebrate that truth. But what about us? Sometimes we just feel as if God has left us behind and it's kind of our own fault. Do you feel that way today? That Jesus has rounded the corner onto Spoon Creek Road and it's too late for you. Man, sometimes we feel that way. In fact, Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 puts it this way how we might feel when we see that Jesus seems it at times to have left us behind. He says it this way, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Man, Paul just tells it like it is, doesn't he? He's not comparing this to being left at home from school on a field trip. He's raising the stakes. You're not just left out. You're not just kind of sad. You're dead. You're dead in your sins and in your transgressions. This is a serious thing for Paul because death is final. There's no coming back from death. Death is the enemy. Death is the worst thing. And yet Paul says that's the condition that we, that we live in. There's a gap between us and Jesus that we feel, but there is an inability that we have to bridge it on our own. You know, have you ever seen people who know that the end is coming soon for them, and what do they choose to do with their time? You know, many of us choose uh, like a hedonism, or like if I've only got one night to live, I'm going to go and just party. Like, let's go to Vegas. Or I've only got a week, so I'm going to travel to a place I've never been. I'm going to serve myself in this short time that I have on earth because I know the end is close. And Paul, in some ways, in Ephesians 2, is saying the end is close to us all, and we find ourselves serving ourselves, serving our flesh, and making that gap between us and God a little bit wider. You know, I might ask it this way, what kingdom are we in? Are we in that kingdom of heaven or are we in the kingdom of this world? You know, the great New Testament writer C.H. Dodd talked about the kingdom as Jesus preached it. And he said that there is a sense in which the kingdom is already here and there's a sense in which it's not yet here. And that tension, that battle between the kingdom of heaven, which is coming, and the kingdom of the earth, which is still broken, we, we wage that same war both on a humanity level, but also in our own human hearts. You know, who among us would say we're a part of the kingdom of heaven, but yet I still feel the kingdom of earth pulling on my heart. I'm not the kind of a guy who would lie about being home from school, but yet there I was lying. It wages war in all of us. You're not the kind of a person who would make these mistakes which separate you from God. You're a Christian, but yet you find yourself plagued by these passions. There's still a little seed of that kingdom of this world up in you. As Jesus put it, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is going to be also. So we have this short time on earth. How are we spending it? What are we pursuing? What are we treasuring? What are we building? And this is why I like the biblical image of kingdom is because a king demands your allegiance. He demands your faithfulness. He wants you to go where he sends and do what he says without reply. You just do it. He's the king. He's the boss. He's the kingdom bringer. Do you put your treasure, your heart into that kingdom of heaven or into the kingdom of this world? Because 
Paul says in Ephesians 2, man, we're dead in our sins and in our transgressions. You know, maybe we could define it this way, that the kingdom of heaven that we're speaking about both here and kind of throughout the series is something like that domain in which things are already the way that God wants them to be. This is just like the song we sang this morning. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. His is the kingdom of heaven, the domain in which He will set everything right. And we pray that it will come on earth as it has in heaven, because if Jesus is ruling in heaven, everything's good. And here on earth, have you been to earth? It's broken still. And that's why we might say the kingdom of this world is that domain in which things are still broken. These are the two spheres that battle for our allegiance, those things which are temporal and now, and those things which are eternal and in some ways unseen. You know, when Jesus taught about the kingdom in his teaching in life on earth, he said this many times. He said, the hour is coming and is here now that the kingdom is among you. This is what Dada is saying. The kingdom's already, it's not yet. There's a battle going on. There's a, a fight in some ways, and, and you can feel ripped apart in your soul. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We were dead in our sins and in our transgressions in following the ruler of this world, the patterns of this world, the kingdom of this world, and we realize that things are still broken for us because if we're stuck in the kingdom of this world, we're not able to be truly alive. If you're stuck in the kingdom of this world, you're not yet truly alive. There's a war, there's a battle, there's a fight. You know, are any of you in here gardeners? You like to plant seeds and plants and, and grow them. I like to do this occasionally. I like tomatoes. Tomatoes are expensive, so I plant some tomato plants, and I cultivate them, and I get cages to lovingly cage them. I water them. I pluck away the weeds. I harvest the tomatoes, and I eat the tomatoes. I love them. I care for them. I prosper them. And then there are string beans. I don't really care that much about string beans. They're not that expensive to buy them, so I planted them. And they sprouted, but I didn't like build a trellis or a cage, didn't really weed them. And then they died. And I was like, you weak plant, unbelievable. How could you die? You're just dying. You're choked out by the conditions of this world because our plants need help even in our garden to grow. And it's the same way as people. We need help to grow from a perfect gardener. We can have perfect conditions and still feel like we need help. We can have this terminal condition of deadness and not even know it. We could be like that string bean being choked out by weeds and pretending everything is okay because we're in the right kind of a space. You know, I think this passage teaches us about four ways that we kind of feel this spiritual deadness. And the first way that I, I see it teaches is that our soul is dead. Our soul is dead. This is kind of what I'm talking about being choked out because... How many of us feel an internal exhaustion? Just the knowledge inside that no matter what you do, you still haven't done enough to earn perfection, that you're still separated from Christ no matter how hard you work. Just your inmost part, your soul on the inside, it's dead. You're exhausted. You need new life in there. Man, this is something that plagues me far too often. This concept is often called works righteousness, the idea that you have to do enough stuff to earn God's favor. And you can't do that. 
Like Paul says, you're dead in your sins. You can't earn, you can't build a bridge to him. They tried this in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel. These people gathered together and they said, let's build a tower that we can make a name for ourselves and reach to God face to face. It didn't work out. Humans can't reach God. And when we try, it exhausts us inside and in our moral places, in our soul. We have a deadness of soul that we need to be made alive. When we feel like it's on us to fill that gap between us and God, we just get exhausted. And the second thing I see in this passage is that our relationships, in many ways, are dead. Our relationships are dead. You know, later on in Ephesians 2, Paul compares this separateness that we have from God to that of being cast out of the family of God, that you are a wanderer, a stranger, you're isolated, you're lonely, and you're alone. That's what it's like to be apart from Him. This is not a good thing. It's likened to death by the Apostle Paul, this solitariness, this fragmentedness that you have. You know, how many of us feel that right now? You know, the Bible's true. This isn't stuff that happened just in Paul's day and age. Right now, we're morally tired. Right now, we feel alone and lonely, cast away, don't we? We too. You know, it's not even just enough to have the appearance of being a part of God's family, as if you go to the right church and come enough times and have the right Bible and come even on Wednesday nights and get involved in the kids' ministry and have the right screensaver, put the bumper sticker on your car, listen to Caleb or whatever in your car radio, just having the trappings of the family of God. There's no power there. If you're separated from Christ, everything's dead. Or some of us try to find fulfillment in other types of relationships. If I can just get a dating relationship, I'll be fine. If I can just get a spouse, a marriage, I'll be fine. If I can just have kids, I'll be fine. If I can get into the right group at school, I'll be fine. If I can get a job at the company that will really give me some prestige, I'll be fine. If I can get into the cool kids club, I'll be fine. If I can just reconcile with my family here on earth, I'll be fine. And then you have those things happen and you realize there's still a separateness between you and God. Your relationships don't give true, real, eternal life. There's a deadness, a separateness even in our relationships, although relationships are good. We're dead. And the third thing I see in this passage is that our appetites are dead. Those things which we are hungry for are killing us. We want things which are just simply not good for us. Paul, in verse 3, calls this like being a child of wrath, having a lust of the flesh. You know, at the risk of, of trivializing it, this reminded me a lot of what went on yesterday at church at our fall festival. Anybody come out to fall festival? It was amazing. I'm so grateful for everybody that came out and volunteered and served and gave candy. It was, we blessed thousands of people in our community with a bit of a touch about what it means to be a part of God's family. And my family came and we were immensely, immeasurably blessed. And uh, the candy giver outers, these people, they had no boundaries at all. They had no common sense, nothing. And they just like dumped hordes of candy into my kids' bag. And then uh, my 13-year-old, he's too old. They didn't care. They dumped it in there. Have some more. Oh, Gabriel, you're so cute. Have some more candy. And just buckets. And then dad has to carry them. I have to like lift weights to drag these candy bags around. And then we get home. And how much candy do you think my kids would have eaten if left unsupervised? All, says Norris. Yeah, all of it. The whole bag. Then they would steal their brother's bag and eat that whole bag too. But did you know that candy is not good for you? I saw a commercial as a kid. Dentists don't recommend the old candy. You get a cavity. It's, it uh, is not good for your system. It makes you sick. My kids know that. They don't care. They hunger for it anyway. They'll eat the whole bag. They'll eat their brother's bag. They'll eat it all. They don't care if it 
kills them. They have an appetite for things which are not good for them. And it's funny when it's my kid and Halloween candy and so on, but it's not that funny when we are having an appetite for our anger and it's killing us and we want to eat our whole bag and our spouses as well. When we have envy, when we have greed, when we have passion, when we have lust, when we have these things which we hunger for, which we know are bad, which will kill us, our appetite is dead. Our appetite is for death. We are hungry for the wrong things. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, that you were dead in your sins. You were hungry for it. Man, this is... Paul is... I like to blame Paul, not me. All right, number four, the last thing I'll talk about today isn't really even from Ephesians 2. It's just something I see in our world. It's that our dreams are dead. What I mean by this is it's, it's a little bit of a hopeless time. I think especially if you talk to younger people, they, they look out at the world and they think, this is a broken place. I don't see heaven meeting earth here. I see trouble. I see travail. I see these deep fractures. I see the, the brokenness of our systems. I see that the world could be better. It's not better. It's broken. Heaven might meet earth, but man, earth needs some help. And what's more is it doesn't seem like that help is just over the horizon, like it's almost here. People don't perceive it that way. They feel like help. So a new world is so far off. There's a hopelessness that's baked into our world. A hopelessness. Things are broken. They're not getting better. They can't get better. Not today. Not tomorrow. So if heaven meets earth, earth needs heaven. It's a broken, hopeless place where our relationships are dead, our soul is dead, our appetites are dead, even our hope is dead, our dreams are dead. Dead, dead. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Dead, dead, dead. Man, is there any good news? Because <laughs> when I outline this, which I see in Ephesians, and I see in our worlds, we're a dead world that needs some good news. We are in earth in a groaning need of heaven, aren't we? Of course there's good news. It comes in Ephesians 2, verse 4. But, Paul says, and I love that, despite everything you just read, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Man, unbelievable. The good news of the gospel is much needed good news that comes at the right time to the right people. And so we ask Jesus, what about me? And he says, you were dead, but I, Jesus Christ, will make you alive. Is God far off? Is he leaving us behind? No, we were dead, but he has made us alive right here in verse 4. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ brings heaven to us. Heaven meets us here, right here. Heaven meets earth not only in Jesus, but also in you, because Jesus has brought the gospel to you, this good news that despite your death in your transgressions, you are made alive by grace through faith. So if your soul feels dead and exhausted, Jesus says, it's a gift. You don't have to work. Here it is. I can make you alive. 
If your relationships feel dead, if you feel cut off, if you feel fragmented and alone, the good news of the gospel is that you have relationship with him and a whole new family. We'll talk about that more next week. You're not alone anymore. We're one in Christ. If you feel like your appetite is for death, for the wrong things, that's okay because it is by grace, not by works that you have been saved. It's a gift to you. Even when Paul says you were dead, then he died for you. And so what about our hopelessness? Are we stuck with that? Well, of course not. No, Paul goes on in verses 6 and 7. He says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Read that again. In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so here's that dimension again of that already and the not yet. The already is that Christ has died and Christ has made you alive already, and yet there's more to come. It's like Thanksgiving, you had your meal, but you get your dessert. This is good news both now and for the life to come. An incomparable rich grace lavished on us by the God of heaven and the God of the universe. This really is good news. We don't have to be a people without hope. Our hope is surely coming. And in the Bible, hope is not like possibility, like wishing that something might happen someday, but it's a long shot. Far from it. In the Bible, hope is a certainty. We know for a fact that this thing is coming for us soon. This is good news. This is the best news You know, there I was telling you about my field trip story with my dad laying in bed and just kind of grieving in my inmost being that I was missing out on Kaleidoscope, and there dad went. And I wonder, had it been the era of cell phones, what if I had been able to crawl out of my bed, get the gumption to admit to my mom that I had faked it, I had made a mistake, call my dad on the phone and say, Dad, I lied to you, but I'm sorry, can you come and get me? I wonder what my dad would have done. Dads can do different things, right? A dad could say something like, I'm sorry, you reap what you sow. This will be a hard lesson to you. I'm going to leave you behind. Maybe my dad would have done that, but, but I don't think so. I think dad would have turned the car around. I think he would. Not because I earned it by doing my chores and all the good works. could turn in some sort of merit badges to my dad. Not because some sort of like restitution that I could pay like as if I could chip in for gas and then he's happy to come back because of restitution. Not because I would have riddled him with guilt if he hadn't have done. No, I think he would have come back because he loved me, because he wanted good things for me, and he wanted a beautiful life. He had a good plan, a hope, and a future for his son, whom he loved. Just like our father. Norris is reading my notes because... That's good. I love the encouragement because this is God. We think God is gone. He's far away. He's not coming back. But if you pick up the phone, if you cry out to him, he's coming home for you. Not because you can pay him back. Not because you've done so many good things. Not because he'll feel guilty if he doesn't, but simply because he loves you and he wants good things for you. You know, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, it's by grace that you've been saved and through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, this is heaven meeting earth. This is Jesus coming back for us. This is us getting to go in a car with him to someplace beautiful and amazing 
We were dead, but now he has made us alive. A new creation, a renewed creation that in Christ, it's kind of like we were never separated in the first place. You know, I love Ephesians 2.10. This is kind of one of Paul's seminal punch moments in this chapter because he writes it this way. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. But didn't, didn't Paul just get done telling us it's not by works, but now here we are created for works? Is this like a bait and a switch? Like I get invited into the family and now all of a sudden I'm crushed with this to-do list that I can't do and this silly cycle of guilt once again that we've all experienced, I think, at some point in our faith walk. I, I don't want us to miss Paul's image here because I think Paul uses some beautiful wordplay almost to tease out what it's like when God looks at you and gives you a new life. There's kind of three images hiding here in verse 10, and the first one is my favorite. That word handiwork that we have in our NIV, some translations have masterpiece or something like this, workmanship, I think, in the King James. The Greek word for that is poema, which comes into our English language as poem. It's a work of art, of poetry, of beauty, of uniqueness, of one-of-a-kindness. This is the restitution that God puts into your heart. No longer are you dead, but you are a beautiful, living poem that he's breathed life into, a new creation to do his good work. It's amazing. You are a one-of-a-kind, unique creation that he has restored. It's amazing. Think about those great Renaissance sculptors and painters and how much they lovingly crafted, protected, and restored. That's what God is doing for us as he makes everything new. And the second image here in this verse, it says that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And this is almost an image of achievement, that something good can happen for you that you're not constantly stuck in failure, that life can be beautiful, rich with blessing, abounding in God's steadfast love, even now. God has a good plan for you, not to suffer you, as Jeremiah 29 says, but to prosper you, to give you hope and a future and a family, the family of God. It's beautiful. God has something to achieve in your life. It will be amazing. And that's why I think the third image hiding here is, is that of a journey. It says that God prepared in advance for us to do this, that God has some sort of mission. He has a goal in mind. There's a movement that he's bringing us along into, that there's something beautiful from creation to even now sweeping us along with it. Yeah, we were dead, but man, made alive as a poetic, beautiful journey, bringing God's good news into our world. That is something that I think we can celebrate. This is the good news of the gospel, that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time to do good works, to bring his kingdom here as it is in heaven. And so God bought you and God made you new. So what is the image of newness that you need to hear? I mean, are you soul tired and exhausted? Jesus makes you alive. Are you hungering for the wrong things? Jesus makes you new. Are you lonely and fragmented? Jesus brings you back together. Man. Summing it up, we might say it this way, that the kingdom comes in us, in our hearts, that heaven meets earth in us, in our hearts, and then, therefore, we bring the kingdom to our hurting and our lost and our dying and our broken world. The kingdom comes in us. We bring the kingdom. I love how Paul puts it in another one of his writings uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like us to turn there because I've spent a lot of time today talking about what might be termed the bad news of the gospel, that you're sinful, you're dead, you're broken, you're hungering for the wrong things, and those are, that's true, but it's not the final word. 
It's not the final word. The final word is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and he says this, Therefore, despite being dead, despite being broken, despite hungering for the wrong things, despite all this soul exhaustion we've been talking about, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Fully new. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us that same ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Amen. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you, Paul writes, on Christ's behalf. And I implore you today, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Be made family with God. Let heaven meet earth in your heart today. You know, there might be some of us in this room or watching with us online that have never opened their heart to Jesus Christ for the very first time. You might be saying, man, Buzz, you're talking about being dead. I feel that. You're talking about being lonely. I feel that. You're talking about being hopeless. I feel that. Can Jesus Christ make me alive? And absolutely, yes. This is the business that he is in. He's making dead people alive. And if you simply open your heart to him and invite him in, he will make you alive, even right now, even today. Will you, met, will you let Jesus make you alive today? Those of us that have been following him for a while, sometimes we still feel dead, don't we? And we need a renewing touch. We need a bringing us forward. Maybe our appetites have been raging. Maybe our hopelessness has been deep-seated. Maybe we need a fresh touch of his spirit. Will you let Jesus make you alive today? Will you let heaven meet earth in your heart? Man, I hope so. 